Okay, so last time that we were together, and just for anybody that were to happen to listen in on the podcast, the last one failed to record, so um, when I make mention of what we covered last time, this is actually not going to be in the podcast there. So um, last time we were looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and there we were examining the connection between uh, the Word of God dwelling richly within us and resulting in... Um, this genuine worship. And we've been looking for a couple of weeks now kind of at marks of a healthy church, and last week we were examining um, genuine worship as one of those marks. I'm just going to kind of cover the 13 areas that we've kind of mentioned along the way, and then we will jump into Matthew chapter 28, um, verses 19 and 20. I'm looking, hopefully, to cover... Four different verses today. If we make if we make good time, um, we'll see how that goes. So the 13 different areas that we've kind of been mentioning along the way, in no particular order, uh, apart from the first two. Um, the first being a love for Christ, genuine love for Christ. If you're examining what it means to be a healthy church, um, you cannot love Him unless He's called, unless you've been called to Him. So, for a body of believers to to be healthy, you, you've got to start with uh, genuine belief in Christ, and and from that, uh, a love for Him. Uh, second to that, I would place um, strong biblical doctrine and understanding of God's Word, a cherishing of God's Word being central to the health of a church. Um, a church could appear to be healthy uh, for a short period of time with emotional things, um, but long-term, uh, lasting the test of time, generation after generation, there needs to be a strong biblical foundation and a love for the Word of God. So those were the first two that I would definitely say, like those uh, in my mind, there's a there's an ordering there. But the rest of these, no particular order. Uh, proper use of the sacraments would be a mark of a healthy church. Proper use of church discipline. Genuine worship, which we talked about last week. Effective prayer, effective witness, effective fellowship, biblical church government, spiritual power and ministry, individual personal holiness and the church's like uh, desire for each of its members to live holy lives, uh, care for the poor, and then... Uh, another mark of a healthy church that we'll probably finish with today is unity. So, um, one of the marks of a healthy church is an effective witness. And I want us to look today um, at this call that has been placed on the church to take the gospel to the nation. So, we're going to start Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> Looking at verse 19. This is a call that was given to the early church. This is a call that continues for us today. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So question for you. Is a church healthy 
if the gospel that it loves, if the Savior that it loves, if the Word of God that it loves stays fixed within the walls of the church? Is that a healthy church? No. Will that church survive the test of time? I would go so far as to say that if you love Him, you will keep His commandments. And this is at the forefront of those commandments. If we are examining ourselves, okay, now there's going to be two aspects that I want us to look at when we consider this this morning. There is the, um, the communal aspect of this. Like, do we care together to take the gospel to the nations? Is this a concern that we have, that we communicate amongst ourselves? I want us to think about this deeply. I want us to think about this seriously. As a community of believers. Now, I'm not talking about Dustin. I'm not talking about Corey. I'm not talking about pick your person that's been on a mission trip that happens to be here. I'm talking about the body of believers at Mount Carmel. Do we together concern ourselves with the gospel going to the nations? Is this something that the church is known for? Is this so? It, I ask. This is a question. Is this a mark of the church throughout history? Is it? I, I hope that we would all say yes to this because we find ourselves here today because the church that came before us saw it important to share the gospel and take the gospel. I don't think that it's much of a stretch for for you all to know that we are we are quite the distance from Jerusalem, right? So the gospel had to be taken to the nations for us to find ourselves here. Now, there are places around the world today where the gospel is still not penetrating. Should that concern us? Should, should we focus our prayers on those places? Should should we as a body of believers, as a community of believers, what should we be doing and thinking in regards to the great commission that's been placed on us? Right? This is not it was a placed on them or placed on him or her. This is a call that's been placed on us. And if we are going to be honest with ourselves about the health of a church then we ought to be honest with ourselves about our collective desire for the gospel to be taken to the nations. That should be something that we, that we concern ourselves with. Okay? Not, and because now we're going to get to, we're going to kind of step away from this collective because we as a body of believers are made up of members with various gifts, right? We've already covered this, and we should be using our gifts. And when we use our gifts, we should be looking to edify the church, to build up the church. And that should be with a focus on the call that God has placed on the church 
So when we pray, we should be individually praying for the nations. We should be individually praying for one another. We should be individually praying that God would raise up men that he would send to those places that have not been reached yet. And then we should continue in prayer and support for them when they go. Right? This is something critical for us. So I want you to think about your own thoughts. Let's, let's look here at this um, text. And I want, I want now to, to kind of take a step from the, the collective whole of the group. And I want us to step back to, the, to, to thinking about this. I want you to think about this for you. Okay? I want you to consider your part in this. Okay? We, we ought to work together. And if God calls you to a place or sends you on a... To a, to a let's, let's say that, that you're going on a, like, a, like a mission... Um, trip that is not near us, right? So that you are going to be going, perhaps you're getting on an airplane and you're flying somewhere that none of us have been, but God has called you to that particular place. Should you go alone? Perhaps God calls you to that alone, okay? In, in, the, in the boots on the ground um, aspect to that. But should you go in your church in no way be involved? No, no. Should, should we consider when that person's called that to be theirs and theirs alone and good luck with that and I'll say a prayer one time for you and then whatever happens, happens? How are you, how are you affected by this call that has been placed on us all? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Who is he talking to here? Who's he talking to? Yes. So, so he's talking to the hearers that are near him first, right? But this is not something that was for them only. This is for something. This is something for the believer, for the one who has been captured by this gospel hope that they too would go. Right? Because ultimately, the ones who heard it that day would die. And there would be others who would be born after them. If, let's, let's imagine for a moment that they had succeeded in a single generation, that there was not a single place on the planet where the gospel did not reach, but no one else followed after them. What happens in a generation? It would die. So is it important that this reality for the church, for you as an individual, is something central to the way that you think about your Christian life? Perhaps you don't go. Perhaps you sinned. Perhaps you sinned. Perhaps you do both. There are times and places where you might find yourself going and there might be other times where you find yourself sending, but is it an option for us to not concern ourselves with this commission at all. This is exactly right. If you concern yourselves, if you concern yourself as a church, if we as a body of believers concern ourselves 
only with the here and now. And I get it. This isn't this is easy to do because we find ourselves having troubles for today and, and tends to be that when we think about the way that we pray, do we not pray for today? We pray for the sickness that we have. And we ought to pray for the sickness that we have. Right? I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, but think about the way that we focus, even in our prayers, it seems to be very like short term focused. Right? We pray for the problems that came up in this past week and the problems that we can foresee in the coming weeks. But how often do we find ourselves in deep prayer for the next generation? How often do we find ourselves in deep prayer for those people who are far off and the problems that they might find themselves facing today? The challenges that they might find themselves facing today when they're trying to do this same thing. They're trying to take the gospel out to the places that they find themselves. And they want to take the gospel out to the nations as well. This is also, um, this is also not something that's just for the American church, right? Like this is not something that like, like if you were to find yourself... Um, if you were to find yourself as a believer in an area where there are very few believers, if you were to find yourself there, it is your call as well to come to this text and to hear it. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is not just for a church well positioned to do this. This is for every church in all history for all time until Christ returns. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What is the, So like, when we consider this text, and we consider it kind of in the context of what it means to be a healthy church or what a mark of a healthy church looks like, I would go so far as to say, as a healthy church builds churches. And I'm not talking about structures. I'm talking about the members of the body of Christ, right? Go therefore to all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What are they then? They're believers, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. What are you making them? Disciples. Okay? So this is something that we ought to be doing here. There ought to be disciple-making efforts here. But this is something that doesn't just end here, but that we should be, we should be looking to go. And this, could look, this doesn't... This is not necessarily a static thing, right? To where it looks like the same thing for the next 50 years, right? Perhaps, it, perhaps for, for a time God places us and places our direction and focus into one area. And then in, in a time He shifts our focus to another area. And then to another. Now we, we ought to consider the importance of building these things up so that they can become self-sustaining and self-propagating in and of themselves. But I would go so far as to say that this is the way that God has been doing it from the beginning, right? Like if you look at 
the early church and as the church is kicking off, how many of these churches had theologians that were part of their body of believers? How many of them? None would be the answer, okay? Like, unless Paul happened to find himself there or they find themselves in the uh, worship service, preaching service of one of the uh, long-term disciples, apostles of Christ, then uh, the answer there would be none of them. Your first generation. But what, what was Paul's focus as he's going around to all of these places? He's wanting to establish something that he doesn't have to be there standing in the pulpit every single time but that it will live past him. He's thinking beyond his own lifespan, right? Are we considering that ourselves? Are we considering the things that we do, the actions that we take as a church? Are we considering how that affects a thousand years from now? I want to raise your hand. Raise your hand if on a regular basis you consider a thousand years from now. <laughs> the spiritual answer would probably be yes all the time the, the practical answer is probably on a day to day basis I don't expect many of you to be raising your hands do you know why because you find yourself dealing with those same things that you find yourself oftentimes praying about okay every once in a while okay we ought to step back breathe for a moment ask ourselves why are we here and how can we be so confident that the next generation will be enabled by us, carried on, carrying on this gospel long after we... Like, there are, there are times that we ought to stand back and we ought to think about long-term things like that. I okay. felt that this morning in my spirit. I sat down at the kitchen table and um, was thinking about Gloria and the impact that she's had on many, many, many people. She's lived a life that has been forward-thinking about disciple-making the gospel, encouraging believers to continue on. It's, the list is endless. Yeah. And I just, you know, examine my own life. Like, yeah. what am I doing, Lord? And, and, and am I really, you know, wholeheartedly fulfilling your purpose for my life? You know, and you get our age and you look backwards a long way and you realize yeah. you don't have as many years forward as you did back. That's another rude yeah. awakening <laughs> when you start thinking of your life that way. Yeah, and that, so w one thing that I don't want, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that if you find yourself focusing on today, that that's necessarily a bad thing. If you find yourself never focusing on a thousand years from now, though, that's not good. Um, like that, I would say that. Like from on a day-to-day -day basis, you're probably not going to be thinking about a thousand years from now. And maybe okay? the Holy Spirit is guiding your desires, and that's we yeah. pray and believe that you know He is working in us to complete. Yeah. He doesn't stop. Just because my focus is not thinking about a thousand years doesn't mean that the mundane things that I may be doing yeah. may not be impacting eternity. They can, they can, and they most certainly do. Like, and this is there's a connection between like your gifts as an individual believer and a thousand years from now. There is, and that's whether or not you are the one boots on the ground in another country, or whether or not you're doing something that you might consider to be mundane. 
There's, a, there's, a, there's an intentionality in the heart of a believer that goes into and through the, the thing that you are doing and looks beyond it to a thousand years, right? And we, cons- we consider in the actions that we take today how that ripples out and impacts a thousand years from now. Like, isn't that, Brother Landon, two years, over two years now, uh, our Lord came and he cast a vision to the disciples and that vision is being lived out yeah. throughout the world. Yes. And exa- that's exactly what we're doing, let's say, in Pakistan. And as we were talking about the minor, smaller spas, uh, I started doing a recent uh, uh, research on Pakistan. It really hurt me. There's a 224 million people. They used to be a 3% Christian. But right now, if you do a search on Google, it's a 1.27%. It means uh, the, we are not keeping up with the population. The, the, I mean, now they used to be the first minority in Pakistan, but they're no longer the first minority. The Hindu used to be the second after Christians, but now they are 2.1%, and the Christians are 1.27% left on. Oh. It, is, it, is, it is very hurting when I... Yeah. So this is a good segue into another point that I would like to make. So perhaps all of you on a daily basis are not thinking about a thousand years from now. Um, I would say that that if you find yourself in a place within the church of leadership, that that frequency of thinking about a thousand years from now ought to be significantly more. Because the work that, let's say the work that I'm doing here, I... Every time that I stand up here, I ought to be thinking about the impact that it has a thousand years from now. This helps me not be like the modern day stock market where it's like we're all chasing after the next quarter's earnings report. Right. And no leader in any of these companies is necessarily brave enough to think 10 years, 20 years in the future because their stock price is going to go down and that's where their money is and that's where their thoughts are so they can't lead into a long future right now we in a similar way might ought to consider the things that we do the things that we focus on and understand that in the short term it might not always make sense but with the long term vision A vision grounded in a love for Christ. A vision grounded in the doctrine of Christ and the Word of Christ being permeated through every heart. That if we think long term, if we think about things in decades and and centuries in that term, then it will cause us to work and, and, and act differently. Right? So there needs to be within a church times where all of us are thinking about that long horizon of time. And then there needs to be those within the church that think about it constantly. That concern themselves with the numbers that we're seeing in Pakistan and how certain actions that could be taken, certain things, certain directions that could be taken, that when the people that are young there now find themselves at the ages that we find themselves, that like because of that thought, that forward-thinking thought, that a percent turns into 10%. And that, that a horizon beyond what we could even 
think and dream of fathomable that you could have a you, you could have a nation that is not known to be a Christian nation that a thousand years from now would be identified perfectly with Christ. Right? Like this is this is the type of this is the type of thought that we should have when we think about go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because when we think about this, um, that is a monumental task. Yes? That is an overwhelming, how could we ever dream of doing something like that task? And, and the, the reality is, is that we can't do that alone. But if we consider ourselves part of this greater thing that God is doing. Not the central focus of it here at Mount Carmel, but that He's doing a bigger work, a global work throughout time, throughout generations. Then we can consider how we can play a part in that, be forgotten to history, except the, the effect that our lives had. There's believers a thousand years from now because of us. Will this be true? Do we think like this? Do we consider this? That there will be those who love Christ a thousand years from now because we loved Christ today. Because we considered the call that He's placed on us individually and as a church today. That there could be a thousand years from now that there could be untold millions who believe that we'll never see, that we'll never get credit for, right? Like we tend to think in what we'll get credit for, right? This is why we oftentimes concern ourselves with the numbers in any given um, classroom setting or preaching hour. We consider to focus on those things as like marks of victory and heading in a forward direction. I would much rather... Mount Carmel will be forgotten to the pages of time apart from all of those believers that if they were to trace that lineage of faith from generation to generation would find it passing through here. Right? I'm much more concerned about that than I am like the whims of, of men and women from year to year because those things, those things change. Those things change. Um, people come, people go. Landon, I, uh, I'm sitting here, I was thinking in my head, but I wanted to say it out loud because it's, I think it's, really, it's refreshing and it's sobering at the same time what you're saying. And, you know, we're the church militant. We are, we're the church on the move. The army of God moving forward the kingdom of God. Yes. And you know how often, I mean, there, I wonder how many men died in wartime because they were looking for the rescue. They were looking for a helipad to get them out yeah. of war. And they had a man who stood up and looked at them and said, no, the fight is in front of us. We work. We fight our way through this. We keep going because the Lord tarries another thousand years. What for those? What are we to do? What are we to say that we should be... We are going to be held accountable for those that are going to be coming after us. Yes. I appreciate what you're saying. It's yeah. What we've done so much in the church is we are looking for the relief of the rapture of God to come yeah. and to bring this, to relieve us from this suffering. 
but what if, right? We always worry about our kids when they come into the world. Yeah. What, what kind of world am I bringing my kids into? But what kind of world are there is going to be left yeah. in a thousand years if we, if we are not faithful now? And yeah. It's, it's, you know, so, it's really good. It's just so important, man. Like, the little things we do, we consider it little things that we do every day. Faithful. <coughs> daily disciplines. Like, you're pouring your guts out for your kids. You're praying over them. You're praying for one another. Your teachers are faithful. They prep their tail off. They're pouring their guts out in every classroom. There's parents who do it. There's teachers who do it. Um, you don't have to be a parent or a teacher to do it, though. And as we do, like, how many Lottie Moons and Annie Armstrongs and how many Jim Elliots and Elizabeth Elliots are sitting in those classrooms right now? And because yeah. those teachers are teaching with an urgency and a passion for Christ to make his name known where it's not known and heralded where it is known so that it continues yeah. to pioneer into untouched and unreached peoples. Like we, I think we find a daily living that is the kind that transcends that one day into a thousand. Yeah. You know, and then they they live and they grow and then they take that baton and like there's a reckless abandon attitude that has to come with that. Um to where like every day matters so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking that um, we are here not by accident. Yeah. Um, this coming Saturday, it, it's just a coincidence. It's, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's a plan of God for us to be here. As Landon is speaking, he did not know what I have planned already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't even talked, just shook hands with him. This coming Saturday, uh, this, this year's conference theme is that it's multiplying disciples. This coming Saturday, I have planned to bring. 12 is a Jesus model, 12 disciple makers. Six, it will be 7 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Central Standard Time, and I invite you to please join. And now you started it, brother. I, I, I didn't come here for this, and I think I will say one of you should speak to them, brother. Share with them what it means to be a multiplying disciples. This coming Saturday, you're welcome to join everybody online and meet these heroes because I think that's exactly is the vision brother what you're talking about we're taking it back to you know you got to be into the disciple making business we that's where our calling is so this coming Saturday I will send you brother the link brother Dustin you have no choice now sir (laughs) 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 so I will send you brother uh, this coming Saturday please join and share with them what it means to a multiplying disciples share a message what you sharing here I think it'd be wonderful for them to hear meet the 12 heroes who have made a commitment to make four disciples a year uh, they made a commitment this <coughs> year 48 disciples would be reproduced this year each one have made a commitment and I'll send you the link brother it just it just happened to me yeah this I love that. so so this is 
goals and I know yeah. that's right. See, I, so to think four people four people you know each one I have assigned them like look Jesus you know had a 12 disciples and would you commit four each this year by October when we have the multiplying disciples conference this year uh, it will be the theme uh, brother that you know, you meet their disciple. I said, we're not going to bring anybody except your disciples and the <coughs> disciple makers to get this movement out. Yeah. And you will receive a link from me, brothers, now. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, this is in, like this idea of disciple making. Like when we, when we consider like the, the approach that we yeah. should take. It would be extreme. It would be extremely difficult for any single individual to deeply disciple ten thousand people, right? But there is like a a, a multiplicate, like a force multiplier that happens when you dis, like when you truly disciple a believer in the word of God, teaching them the commands of God. Because what happens is, is that if, if I disciple an individual, that individual then becomes a discipler of individuals. And then the, if they're discipling individuals, the ones they disciple become disciple makers as well. So that all along the way, you shift from this. We have we tend to have a mindset of single disciple maker, right? And y'all know who that single disciple maker is on any given Sunday. This is the one that stands in the pulpit and I'm air quoting makes disciples. But disciple making is something you, each and every one of you, are called to do. Um, I would say that if you are a believer and you find yourself void of someone that you could look to and say, I am currently active in discipling this individual. If you find yourself lacking that person and your heart is not convicted hearing it, you may not love Jesus. You may not. Because if you love him, you will desire others to love him. If you love him, you will keep his commands. He's called us to go and make disciples. If we are going to examine ourselves as a body of believers, examine the marks of a healthy church and say, do we find ourselves doing this? Then part of that we ought to find our members, the members of the body of Christ that we have here making disciples. Now, here's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you go and work in Birmingham and you're discipling in your workplace and that you have to force them to drive an hour to Mount Carmel. Okay? Your disciple making might not show up here. Okay? It might not show up here. So I'm not saying that any of you individually should be looking around and saying, I don't see anybody sitting by you um, that you're discipling right now. Okay, that's not the way that this is like set to work. But you as an individual know whether or not the life that you're living outside of these walls is one that is following this command. 
Are you seeking to build disciples? Um, and I would go so far as to say you should be considering the nation's impact when you do. Okay? You should be considering the nation's impact. You should be thinking about how building, like, you should be thinking. If you, Let's say you're discipling at work. You should be thinking about how you discipling that individual affects their family directly. And you should expect that it does. Because when the gospel pours into an individual's life, it pours over into their families, into the places that they find themselves. You should be expecting that the person that you're discipling in time is discipling themselves, like discipling others. So this should impact their family. So you should be thinking about when you work with an individual, how is the, are the actions that you're taking today going to affect the rest of their family's life, the generations that come from their family's lives? This should be something that you think about when you disciple. You should be thinking about the impact that it will have. I know we're going to find ourselves faced with troubles this week. Um, that's life, right? Like it, it happens. It happens. I know that like the majority of your time and focus is going to be on today until tomorrow comes, and then it will be on that day. Try to work into your prayer life. Um, Prayer for a thousand years from now. Um, prayer for a people that you'll never lay eyes on them directly. Just work it. Start there. Right? Like, prayer is effective. Right? There, like, here's what, here's what I will say. And, and this is a pattern that, that uh, if you've been in class for any length of time, you know that um, for... I don't know how many years I've been praying, and I and and I, and I start off almost every prayer um, in a similar fashion. I thank God for allowing us to gather here because how fortunate we are to gather, and we gather without fear of persecution. There's none of you that was looking for somebody to ca- catch you coming to this big building today. Um, and then when I think about that, it shifts my mind towards the reality that there are those around the world today that don't have that gift that find themselves in persecuted places. But God changes the places that He places His church through the working of His church. And I know that He will do that. So I pray for that. There are faces of people. This I'm confident in this. There are faces of believers that I will see in heaven one day that God gave a bold heart to, and it was directly connected to the prayers that He led me to pray. I don't know who they are, and I have not seen them, right? But I know for a fact that when I pray today, that God places that on my heart today because there is a brother in Christ or sister in Christ somewhere in the world today that finds themselves fearful over having made this commitment to Christ because it might come at their life or the life of their family. And yet God, through prayer, moves through the Holy Spirit so that we can partake in that. So don't think that your prayers are not effective 
Because when God leads your heart to pray, the Holy Spirit in you is the same Holy Spirit in the believers that are in the cave that you'll never see their face. Right? And He's leading you to pray. And He's hearing your prayer. And He's moving on their behalf. So start there knowing that the God who hears your prayers hears their prayers. There are people around the world today who have not heard the Gospel, perhaps because the the Scriptures have not even been translated into their language. You can start praying for them today. Do that. Pray for all the sickness that you got. Pray for the fears that you have tomorrow. But don't don't fail to miss out on crowns because you concerned yourself with those that you would never meet. Right? Pray for them. We're going to close out now in prayer. Um, we did not finish today. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll catch it next time. Um, so let's let's pray, and as we do, I I ask that you would um, pray with an eye, pray with a heart that looks beyond the horizon of today, um, that it would look into, um, that it will look into those moments that there will be believers in the future that need your that need your prayers to have been prayed today. So um, we'll 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 end in prayer now.